Coca, su naray, su naray en ti. 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 Hampue, 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 such a mama. To the winds of the south, great serpent, come. Come and wrap your beautiful coils of light around us. Teach us how to shed the past like you shed your skin. Show us the softness and teach us about the beauty way. Aho, such a mama. To the winds of the west, Hampwe Hampwe Otorungu, great mother sister jaguar, come, come and protect our medicine space. Take us into the unknown, teach us how to trek, guide us into the unconscious, beyond our shadows and beyond our fears of death, and teach us how to be impeccable like the luminous warriors. Aho. To the winds of the north, Hampwe Hampwe Kenti, royal hummingbird, Grandmothers and grandfathers, ancient ones, calling in the lineage of ancient medicine, men and women, to come and gather around us, to share the infinite wisdom of our past, of our heritage. Honoring all of those who came before us, our mothers and fathers, grandmothers and grandfathers, and all of those who will come after us, our children's children. Aho. To the winds, of the east, Hampwe, Hampwe, Apuchin, great eagle, come to us from the place of the rising sun. Take us under your wings and fly us high up to the absolute highest mountains that we can only dare to dream of. Teach us how to fly wing to wing with the great spirit. Aho. Santa Madre Tierra, Hampwe, Hampwe, Pachamama, dear Mother Earth, we come here in healing to all our relationships, to the stone people, the plant people, the two-legged, the four-legged, the creepy crawlers, the winged, the furred, and the finned. Aho, Pachamama. And to the star nations, grandfather sun, grandma the moon, to all the stars, to all the galaxies in our universe, and to all the universes in this existence, calling into the infinite one, you who is known by a thousand names, and you who are the unnameable. Thank you for allowing us to sing this song of life for one more day. Aho. Thank you very much. Louis Vallotti, everybody. Um, before I read your biography again, give us a little bit of context on what just happened here. Thank you, Giancarlo. So nice to be here again. So what just happened was an invocation. I shared an ancient prayer that comes from the Kero of the Andes, an old shamanic prayer, a mantra, to create a sacred space, a sacred space held by the four cardinal corners, by the medicine wheel, by the archetypes of the serpent, the jaguar, the hummingbird, and the eagle, and the earth, and the universe. 
it is to allow us to sit in a space that takes us outside of the linear time and into the present moment and in contact with these natural forces of, of evolution, these natural forces of nature. Amazing. Thank you very much. So for people that missed the first episode, I will quickly read um, your biography again. Louis Vallotti is a shaman, spiritual guide, and visionary. He co-created Genesis Holistic Medicine. He's a student of Dr. Gabor Mate and Dr. Alberto Villoldo, initiated into the Cuero lineage of Andean shamanism, as you just heard. He offers a sacred space where you can explore the multidimensional layers and evolution of your being. So for people that did not listen to his first episode, I will recommend they do so because there is there will be a certain chronology. We're going to do a total of four episodes with uh, Louis. I mean, maybe more, who knows. But definitely we're going to start with four episodes because, um, as you can hear in the first episode, he's um, developed a system around three principles um, that he, he presented in the first episode. And now in episode two, three, and four will be dedicated specific to this uh, principles. I will let him explain what we're going to talk about today. Um, and if you can, Louis, um, I always try to be a little bit structured. So um, maybe you can explain, you know, what we're going to talk about today and, 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 and make that distinction we talked about, you know, the part of modern psychotherapy and the part about spiritual existentialism. Okay. So today the intention is to speak about the second principle of Genesis. This core principle we call self-inquiry. Self-inquiry from the work and the teachings that we offer comes with the intention of building a bridge between modern psychotherapeutic approaches modern psychotherapy, and spiritual existential teachings that come from cosmology and lore from Tibetan Buddhism and the Kero lineage of, of shamanism. So our intention is to create a dynamic, dynamic in the sense that we're combining modern therapeutic approaches together with existential teachings to create a formula for finding ourselves, for connecting to our true self, for connecting to our truth on all levels, individual, transgenerational, and existential. You want to get into the details. <laughs> so let's, let's, let's pack this up a little bit. So, you know, s modern psychology has evolved for the best of, I would say, 100, 150 years. But it has sidetracked at some point, and we've lost the, the, the core source of, of finding our true selves, of, of finding our, our being. And unfortunately, Western psychology has moved into becoming more diagnostic, um, has become an arm of traditional allop allopathic medicine, meaning that we're not looking to heal, we're looking to soothe, we're looking to eliminate uh, symptoms rather than understanding them. However, 
the last, you could say the last 30, 40 years, but really the last 10, 15 years, we have the renaissance of a few th psychotherapeutic systems that really work together in a dynamic. These would be, as examples, uh, the CI, the Compassionate Inquiry Method or Approach by Gabor Maté, Polyvagal Theory by Stephen Porges, Transpersonal Psychology by Stan Groff, and Internal Family Systems by Richard Schwartz. These systems share so much in common and, and they are more related to the spiritual teachings, but they translate all that language into an understandable format for the Western mind. So we work with, with these principles, we work with these teachings, but also we bridge it over to the spiritual existential context. This is where cosmology from Tibetan Buddhism and the Quero lineage comes in because the former systems I just mentioned, they will take us through the individual process. They will also take us through the transgenerational process. And the spiritual teachings brings us beyond. They brings us into the existential journey of the soul, the ideas around karma, the ideas around the true origins and purpose of this whole journey. So it expands from just this lifetime to becoming a, a lesson of life, a purpose of life, a journey of evolution of a soul. So we bring all that together in our principle of self-inquiry. Amazing. Should we go one by one? Or where do you want to go? I'm, I'm going to let you drive this today. <laughs> Thank you, uh, Giancarlo, for that trust. It, it's interesting going into one-on-one Self-inquiry has become a dynamic, progressive model with interpretations and teachings from all these different systems. So I feel called to share a little bit more about self-inquiry. Mm -hmm. What is self-inquiry about? So in the world, we have self and we have, the, we have inquiry. So we're inquiry. We're going into an inquiry about the self, the self with a capital S. The question is, who are we? Now, our approach is based on the idea that there is a true self. The idea that there is a truth about who we are. And through these systems, we learn that the suffering that we see in the world, the suffering that we are ourselves on an individually suffering from, this comes from the unconscious identification of ourself. So we suffer because we are separated from our truth and we are identifying with a belief or with a story about who we are. So self-inquiry is about challenging the unconscious material that we are holding it is about traveling deeply through this unconscious material to attain realizations about who we really are. You can say we work through a process of shadow work. 
where we come in deep contact with these unconscious parts so that they can open up and express themselves. And in the expression of this unconscious material, we come to a realization of truth about ourselves. This is a journey. It's a journey of inner work. It's a journey of healing. It's a journey of becoming whole or individualized, like Carl Jung called it. It's a journey of finding these unconscious parts, making them conscious and integrating them back into the self so we become sovereign, whole, and intuitively present beings. Now, I'll share a little bit of theory. This would be the basis of internally internal family systems, but also it's in the core of the Jungian teachings and also our shamanic teachings from the Queros. These teachings, they come from a foundation that there is a self, that there is a part of us a core part of us that never changes, that cannot be damaged, it cannot be hurt. It is a core part of us that we define as a center, a center inside. And that center is created from the present focus and awareness of our attention. It is our present awareness now this center, this core part of us, this, this center of awareness, this center of, of presence, that is in these teachings who we truly are. That is our connection to the present, to all the people around us, to the planet and, and ultimately the universe and what some call God. As a part of human life, as a part of being born in a body with karma, we are destined to go through an evolution of our soul where this center becomes depressed or suppressed based on the traumatic experiences we, we explore that we have in this life. And when we go through those traumas, or I call them karmas, what happens is that we develop additional parts who we are. These can be seen as sub-personalities. These can be seen as parts of ourselves that on a soul level and an ancestral level are unhealed. So from the existential point of view, we come into this life to take on these lessons, to take on this karma that are manifested through trauma and that create these unconscious parts that we develop an identification to, that we think we are unconsciously. And self-inquiry is about healing these parts, about bringing them back into the center so we become this all-abiding, empathetic, loving presence that is our core, that is our ultimate being. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. Um, okay, just to maybe unpack a little bit the concept of ghost, of shadows, sorry. 
Because that's the yeah. that's the critical. Yeah. So a ghost or a shadow, we can call them those things. We can call them also a part, an unconscious part. Unconscious part. An unconscious yeah. part. Or or or, or, or um, what's the term that Eckhart Tolle used? Pain bodies. Pain bodies. So pain bodies is uh, is another interpretation. Let's 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 go with with shadow or unconscious parts and. What we're looking at here is at some point in your life, when I say your, I'm speaking to all of us because this is both individual and a collective journey. So at some point in your journey, you would have experienced what we define, what I define as a trauma. Now, a trauma in this sense, is defined as anything that has caused a disconnection to the self, a disconnection to your center, to your truth. And through that disconnection, there has been a constriction inside, a constriction or restriction to who you are authentically, towards who you have been forced to adapt to, mm. to something that has had to happen, something internally that you've had to do to survive. But in that adaptation, you've had to suppress your authenticity, your truth, and allow an unconscious belief to take over your identification of yourself. And that unconscious belief, together with the pain that has been suppressed, that becomes a shadow. That becomes an unconscious being inside you, a part inside you that reacts, that defends itself in different ways, that whispers these unconscious thoughts in your ear, and that sometimes trigger and cause suffering in your life for you and potentially those around you. So we discussed that we can take me as an example. <laughs> so in my case, my shadow um, was created, uh, as you say, because of a loss of authenticity. And I would say in my case, um, I lost my authenticity, I would say, in teenage year or even in puberty when, when I had the um, first understanding of, of, of sexual desire. I was, um, you know, my, my father's love was pretty much conditional to my um, sexual conquest. Maybe not so young. Maybe it was a little bit, maybe that kind of pressure came later. But I was looking at him, I was looking at his life, and uh, he was a, a Playboy ambassador. So, I, and, and he was, you know, was never really interested to be a father. So I felt that for me, in order to get his attention, to get, his, uh, to get the attachment back, or not even back, because I don't think I ever, ever had it, but I, I, I start, 
you know, I, I organized my identity to be also a high status womanizer. And that was, that is becoming my driving force for, I mean, many, many years. So that would be my ghost. That would be my shadow. Right? Okay. So I, I want to start with honoring the vulnerability that you're showing by sharing this and, and the space that's created here. And I, I, I would like our audience to be aware that this is something that we have um, agreed on in terms of a consent. And although we're live, we, we are in a very personal setting. So thank you for that. Um, so is it okay if I reflect back to you here? So I heard you say that your shadow was created in relationship to your father. Your father was an ambassador of Playboy. I heard you say he never really wanted to be a father. Mm. And I heard you say that you, you call it attachment, but maybe it was more your need to be seen and loved by him, accepted by him, and your shadow was created in a way that you unconsciously pursued a womanizing archetype to seek his approval, to seek his, his value, his worth. Correct. Mm. So, are you okay with going deeper into this? Let's do it. Okay. So you said he never really wanted to be a father. Mm, that can be very difficult for a child to experience. Not wanting be to be a father can translate itself into not wanting being present, not wanting to see the other. Not wanting the responsibility. Mm, not wanting the responsibility. Not wanting to give the time mm. away from his interest. Mm. So... The journey starts here with the experience of a child experiencing this. Because what you said teenagers, but the relationship to the father, the development of our, what we call the solar plexus chakra, mm -hmm. the development of this who am I on an individual level, it starts in very, very early puberty. So we, we, we detach from the mother around eight, nine, ten years old and we move into the father, where we're looking to be seen and acknowledged. Now, if that is not there, if there's not a safe connection to the father, a connection that sees us and accepts us, I don't know if this is the case with you, because we haven't gone into it, but theoretically what happens is that the true authentic self of the boy, if it's not accepted in the eyes of the father, it may find a way to suppress itself. This often happens based on uh, traumatic experiences. Uh, the father will react or respond to the child in a certain way that creates a feeling of either abandonment or rejection in the child, in the identity, the authenticity of the child. So the child, it's looking for that attachment, that connection, so it can suppress, depress who it really is and hide that because that's not good enough, that's not safe. And then it can take on the mechanism that it thinks is valuable in the eyes of the father to keep that 
acknowledgement, to receive that love. So I ask you first, is this in resonance? Yes, mm. yes. And even, even, even more, um, you know, when, when I did some, some work in a, in a rehabilitation clinic where they put on the floor several words. There was like, you know, abuse, abandonment, uh, disempowerment. And I realized that, you know, in, in puberty, the disempowered came from not even allow me the possibility to decide who I was. So it's not that my true self was suppressed, it's that it was never even find. I mean, you don't know who you are at eight, nine, 10, you're just beginning. You know, I see my son who's 10, comparing himself to other personality and, and so in that process, I was, I had this figure of constant, you know, woman novelty, always different girls in, in on holiday. And, 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 and because he, I didn't felt the, the, the emotional support, I thought that, you know, the more I become like him, the more love I can get. That's the aspect of the girls. And then he was this diplomat working at the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. So I would see him always, you know, treated like royalty, right? Arriving in the country with the Malaysia, with the king, or, you know, he was representing Italy. And, and, and so that immediately installed in me this desire of being a high status person. And, and, you know, so I'm 10, 12, and I've been imposed to be a high status womanizer rather than be an, I don't know, monogamous artist. Maybe, maybe I, I, yeah, I was, I was disempowered like that. So I hear you saying, Giancarlo, that there's a feeling that rather than your authenticity being repressed or suppressed, it was never found in the first place. Correct. So are you okay if we go a bit deeper into that? Mm. So one of the teachings of self-inquiry is what we call the emotional memories. So let's let's pretend we have a, a young boy. He's eight, nine years old. He doesn't really know who he is yet, but he has some aspirations. He has some sparks of an identity that is wanting to show themselves. So what I'm guided to, to share with you here is, with the question is, from the age of nine up to 12, were there any memories where you felt that that spark, that innocence, that beginning of the self was in any way rejected, denied, or, or, or even um, more difficult, ridiculed or shamed? Yeah, I mean, the first interesting thing is that I lost all my memories of the first 11, 12 years of my life. And I've done a lot of work with psychedelic medicine to try to recover some of the memories. But, you know, I was I was born in, in Rome, but then I went to Indonesia. The, so 04 Indonesia, 48 Brussels, 812 Athens. I don't remember anything. <laughs> and um, so... I'll let you interpret that. And and the other thing about, you know, the 
Yeah, I mean, I remember I was 13, 14. That was the time of, you know, we were in Rome. And, um, and yeah, there was a constant questioning about, you know, do you have a girlfriend? Do you have two girlfriends? Why you don't have a girlfriend? So there was a constant, you know, maybe not some ridiculed. It wasn't horrendous. It wasn't constant things. But I, f I remember feeling it. I remember we were at the tennis club in Rome at the Chinese changing room and in front of everybody, he asked me if I had a girlfriend and then I said, not a fixed one or something. And I remember him saying, not even a non-fixed one. I mean, he, he made fun of me in front of everybody. And that came out on a, on a, on a psychodrama um, session in, uh, in, in, uh, in the Deepak Re Rehabilitation Center in, in Canada. That, that was a, one of the events that really made me understand to what extent I was disempowered in, in being 14 years old, interested in, I don't know, insect or astronomy. <laughs> Thank you for sharing this. Before we we look at the memory loss and what happened here at the age of 13, it's okay if I ask you, how do you feel in your body? How do you feel right now when you share this? So, so we did a little bit of this before the recording, right? So I feel that it's a little bit less raw, but but I feel it. I feel it in my solar plexus. You know, I have a, I have a sense of contraction, of of um, of yeah, of pain, of um, uneasiness in, in in my solar plexus, just where the ribs meet, just underneath the ribs uh, connection. Would you be okay if we take a few breaths and and, and just come back into the body and and just connect with that as we continue? So just allow yourself to connect to your breathing. Just be aware of the breathing coming into your body. And as you breathe in now, become aware of the seat, the support that you're sitting on. And with these sensations in your solar plexus, gently breathe into it, just give it space. Just allowing it to be there and acknowledging that it's there and holding space for it. Is there any emotion connected there to that sensation? you can pinpoint and, you know I, I feel I feel um, I feel supported you know I feel heard <laughs> but is there, are there any emotions specific feelings in the body hmm. I mean I've done a lot of work on that in in forgive in forgiving him but you know there's always a little bit of borderline of um, of resentment Mm. Okay, thank you for sharing that. So resentment is, is would be, could we call that a, a, a variation of anger? Mm -hmm. mm. Okay. So, would you be okay if we go deeper and I reflect on, on, on what we just talked about? Yes, yes, yes. You don't okay. have to ask me anymore. Oh, uh, you don't have to I, ask me. Permission. I, I know it's important. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so thank you for that. So, so, so I heard you say that your memory, you lost most of your memory. Mm all the way up from very early childhood up to the age of 10, 11 years old. Mm -hmm. Now, 
what I can share about that is that our memory center, so what we call the limbic part of the brain and more particularly the hippocampus area of the brain, this is where we store memory. This is where we have the ability to learn experiences. Uh, this is where emotional coding happens to our memories. Now, our body neurologically, is, it's rigged for survival at a very early stage. And our physiology, the body, it is going to adapt to survival at any cost. This means in particular, if there is too much emotion, unprocessed emotion, repressed, depressed emotion, the brain can create a circuitry that disconnects. And part of that disconnection also takes away the memory. So, so there's so much work done with plant-based medicines with these powerful technologies to be able to recover trauma that is depressed or repressed in the body, uh, allowing us to, to come into these realizations. And there are also natural processes through diet and through inquiry, like you did yourself, that allows this to, to reappear. So... How about we go into that emotional memory? You mentioned, I heard you say you were 13 years old and your father was, in, in your experience, he was always questioning this relationship to women. Did you have a girlfriend? Uh, why didn't you have a girlfriend? And you Why don't you have more than one? Why don't you have more than one <laughs> girlfriend? And, and you mentioned a, a, a memory in a locker room, I think you said in a tennis court yeah. in the locker room, yeah. where he questioned you, asking you if you had a girlfriend, and you said on the regular one, and he made fun of you yeah. in that moment. Were there other people present yeah. around? Yeah. Okay. So I, I, I want to tie this in for our listeners to what is an emotional memory. So any memory that is less than ideal, that sticks out in your in your memory, in your recollection, is most likely an emotional traumatic memory. It's coming out because your body also has a natural healing system where it wants to bring to surface the unconscious material. And the unconscious material comes to surface in the form of emotion and images. In our last podcast, we talked about the four levels of perception. And we talked about the level of the soul, which sees in images and in emotions. And that level of the soul can in, in, in our Western psychology be called the level of the unconscious. So Giancarlo, what you're sharing is potentially an unconscious memory that is coded significantly, meaning it's a clue, it's a sign that you're being shown. And let's move into that memory to see what is there. So here you have a boy and I invite all the listeners to imagine a 13-year-old boy. If you know anyone, that's great. Or just imagine a 13-year-old boy being in a locker room. This is where we are nude. This is where we are naked physically with most likely elder men. Since it's a tennis club and your father is there, most likely elder, more authority around us. So we're in a very vulnerable space. And... Our father is the protector. He keeps us safe. We 
look up to him and we're supposed to be able to be vulnerable in a space where we are actually physically naked. Now, this is from the eyes of a 13-year-old being questioned by the role model, by the the person that we are trying to live up to, the person that we are we are we need for safety and vulnerability. Your father questioned you in front of someone else regarding something very personal because you saw him as an ambas- ambassador of Playboy, meaning women were valuable. Yeah. Yeah. But just to clarify, he was he was a Playboy, you know, he was a womanizer, but then he was an Italian ambassador, he was representing Italy abroad. Mm. So he wasn't really, you know. So he wasn't the, the <laughs> physical ambassador of Playboy, no. but he was an ambassador, a person of authority. And a, and a womanizer. And a womanizer. Yes. <laughs> Hence the, the Playboy ambassador, which, which, yeah. which more or less is the same, just more, more precisely explained. Yeah. But, 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 the, but the, 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 the point here is that he is questioning you and indirectly your value. Yeah, my masculinity. Your masculinity yeah. based on his beliefs. Yeah. And it's doing this in a naked environment yeah. in front of other authorities. Yeah, I never thought about that, yeah. Mm. So, so when he then makes a joke that in his eyes might have been innocent, for a 13-year-old boy being naked in that space, it directly challenges the self-worth and it, it's, it's, since it's done in that environment with other people there, not only does it challenge the self-worth, there is the potential of an element of shame coming in. Shame that, for one, what we are, so we are not yet a womanizer. We are, don't yet have multiple r- relationships. From where we are, that is directly challenged and not worthy, not good enough. So we have to, if we want to stay connected, we have to choose. Is that either worthy or is the image of my father most valuable? Attachment or our authenticity? And in that environment where you're naked, where there's lots of people around, maybe someone laughs, maybe there were laughter, it's very easy to just swallow and depress that, who am I? That's that's not really important here, obviously. That that's ridiculed. And then the shame, which is kind of a protection mechanism, comes over to say, I cannot it's not safe for me to even mention that I don't have a girlfriend. I need to hide that and I need to figure out how I can get as many as possible. As possible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How does that resonate? Yeah, that's totally accurate. And and as you said, you know, I would love the, for the listener to 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 you know take this sharing as a you know as as an example and and try to translate this episode in their own life, right? You know, we're not here. You know, I'm sharing this because I hope it's useful, and it's a quite common dynamic that you know not only some kids don't get the the, the support and the emotion the emotional support needed but sometimes get the lack of it and, and also the, you know, being ridiculed. And I think this is a very common situation in our culture. Yeah. Yeah, these are many layers of how we can see trauma, disconnection, and, and the development of these shadows. 
on an individual level, it, it's based in, in, in trauma of the experiences that we have that are painful, that we want to survive from, so we hide them. At, at a certain point in age, in, in childhood, it is the only coping mechanism that is there available to us, so we suppress and hide them. But in doing that, we create these shadows, these archetypes of unconscious reality. And when we grow up 30, 20, 30 years later, these unconscious dynamics start playing out in our reality, in our relationships, and they cause even more suffering. In, in which way? Creating um, insecurity and, and, and projection and taking things personally and a anger, jealousy, resentment. Okay, so we're moving into more of a complex but very important part of, of, of this talk. So is it okay if we continue using your story as an example? Yes. Okay. So let's, let's um, inquire. A 13-year-old boy here is in a vulnerable situation. He suppresses, depresses his authenticity, his true self, and he creates a mechanism there to feel value and good enough. Now, in that process, in that adaptation, there may be, and I will ask you the question, there may be a resent or an anger created towards the father, towards the perpetrator. Would you resonate in that? Yeah. Okay. Now, we'll I would like to come back to that anger because there is, there is something underneath the anger that is, that is really the, the, the core, and, and that is the pain, that is the hurt, that is the sadness of the experience. But that sadness has not been held properly in this moment, so the resentment comes over there again as another protection mechanism. But to bring it into the inquiry, so I'll ask you very directly, have you, Giancarlo, ever experienced an unconscious resent or anger towards a male authority figure? All, all the time. <laughs> all the time. I, have, I, I could say I have an authority problem, for sure. And, and just just allow the the intuition to answer this next question. Is that related to this relationship to your father and what happened there? Yeah, I mean, I haven't really thought about it, but um, but I feel that you know, if you have a loving authority figure, you develop um, an appreciation for that kind of direction. Even I feel that when. You know, having not had that kind of, um, you know, authority, if well done, it's a support system, which I feel I never had. So for me, people, especially men, tell me what to do has always been a big problem with me. So definitely it's linked to that. Okay. So... When we're looking at these shadows, and you asked, okay, how does this how does this relate to to reactions and triggers and projections twenty, thirty years later? So, in this situation, there is an authority that challenges our authenticity, ridicules it, and if we then look at present time with authority, 
when what I think I just heard you say is that every time an authority challenges your authenticity, mm. challenges your belief, is a, a trigger for that anger, that old pain to come out. Yeah. Is that me? Are we in resonance here? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. We are in a deep, very beautiful, but in intense sharing. I really appreciate it. the eye of the storm. <laughs> so, so where can we go from here? There are there are many many ways to unravel and unpack this. I think it's. I, think I mean, I can I can share where I felt this sabotaged my life. You know, I felt for I don't know ten fifteen years. You know, this armor that you described, this egoic armor that I created to deal with the pain has constricted my heart. So I wasn't able to commit with any woman until the age of, I don't know, I got married in 2015, (laughs) which, you know, I was born in 68. So how is that? 47 years old. So, yeah, that has created a lot of pain for me and others, this inability to surrender and open my heart and feeling vulnerable with a woman. I was engaged and then some stream a girlfriend that I couldn't really commit to. Okay. Hmm. Are you okay with going deeper here? Yes. So I'm, 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 I was guided. I saw something that happened now and I'm curious about it. So I heard you say that you were not able to establish an intimate, safe connection with a woman in the form of a, let's say, monogamous relationship yeah. until 2015. I mean, 2015 we got married. You, know, you got we married. We, start, we committed and started doing the work together in 2007. Okay. So what I noticed there, just when you said 2015, you laughed. But from where I'm sitting, what you shared sounded like it was a sad realization, a sad acknowledgement, but you still laughed. Okay, can you take a moment just to feel into that laughter that you that came there? How does that feel when I mention that? Can you feel in the body? Yeah, yeah, we, we discussed that. I think sometimes the, the humor is a coping mechanism to avoid the pain. What pain? The pain of, of feeling a little bit inadequate, of, of not being able to commit until your 40s, late 40s. Mm-hmm. And pardon me for being very direct, but inadequacy is not a feeling. What are you really feeling underneath all uh, that? Unworthy. What is the opposite of laughter? Seriousness, um, heaviness. <laughs> Just feel now what's coming up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's okay. We don't have to go any further than what you feel. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. I like, I like, I like the. So allow that uh, uncomfort to. W- when there's, it's, it's, uh, it's growing material when it is uncomfortable, mm-hmm. right? To allow that to be a discomfort to be there, because just breathing into it. Mm. 
And please share what's arising now inside you. Yeah, I feel, uh, I feel, um, I feel like I feel cornered. I feel vulnerable. I feel fragile. I feel, um, yeah, unease. Hmm. Let's just take a few breaths here. This is really when we start inquiring. We start coming into the deeper realms. I, I can sense, I share with what I feel in my body right now. I'm starting to feel a deep sadness. A deep sadness is just showing itself. Can you feel it? It's okay. And I appreciate the setting. But your vulnerability here is this is where you can go with self-inquiry it's coming to the core of that sadness what, what if anything what would you like to share about that sadness what is it telling you Some, sometimes I feel um like some sort of missed opportunity all this year of um, unawareness and an addiction and inflicting pain on myself and other there's just a lot of um, of sadness because it could have been avoided and 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 now I don't want to be all heavy now in public, but you know, like the, you know, I say that they say that you know you forgive the perpetrator, but it, it's harder to forgive the, the enabler. And I feel that the enabler was my mother, and I feel that um, you know she was not thirteen when that was happening. You know, she was a mature woman, and I feel that. Um, I mean, she did end up leaving my father, and she did end up married a professor, doctor, intellectual, and 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 she tried to, you know, showing me another way to be a man. But but on those years, the subtle abuse was not a secret for anybody, and I just, in a way, resent the fact that she didn't help. And today I forgave my father, but I still have a trigger with my mother. Mm. Okay. I don't know if this is coming too boring for our listeners. I don't think so. I think uh, I think uh, it's a chance that your vulnerability, which is so valuable, that you are underestimating it. But can I unpack some of what you shared? So you 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 I heard you share that the fact that this has happened for so long. And all the work you've done and that you're in this space right now that you wish somehow that this could have been avoided and it goes more to the abider the the the, the m your mom that didn't protect you enabler yeah enabler through this experience that didn't protect you no this is where this is where we go from the traditional 
or modern psychotherapeutic approaches I mentioned earlier, and we have to build a bridge over to the cosmology and the existential teachings. Because karma, life lessons, the purpose of our life isn't very well explained in the traditional psychotherapeutic approaches. So, Because so, it's secular. Be- because it's beyond scientific uh, proof. It becomes cosmology or philosophy. Science hasn't come there yet. But I would like to reflect that in terms of, first, um, creating some foundation around how this could have been avoided and what happened. Now, now in these teachings, in the spiritual teachings, in the lore, this is lore, Kumkero and Tibetan Buddhist. They're, they're miles apart on each their own side of the globe, but they still have very similar understandings. So we are on a journey here journey of reincarnation where we are bringing the wounds of our ancestors and the wounds of our past lives into each reincarnation. At this point in time, the prophecy of this lineage and many other lineages say that we're coming, even the Bible says it, that we are coming to the end of days. We are coming to a time where the soul has to meet all its karma in one lifetime. It has to go through all the life lessons in one lifetime. It is a story of enlightenment or embodiment or realization. So, one thing is, there are a few details. One thing is that the amount of trauma that a soul or karma, that a, man, that a soul has to endure in one lifetime represents the potential of that soul in this life. That means that all these curses, all these traumas, the process of them from a karmic point of view is to heal from them. And when we heal from them, they transform into our greatest gifts and powers. It is depersonalized at that level what that means is that mother and father, we are a descendant from that lineage. And we are descendant from the generational trauma that that lineage has unconsciously brought upon the next generation. And we are the chosen one to be able to work through and handle it. That becomes, in the spiritual a level of the spiritual teaching that becomes the purpose of our life to grow and work through this. So bringing it back to our conversation, I hear that there's more in your life experience than their experience with your father. And what I'm sidetracking here, apologize for that, what I'm sidetracking to, 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 to establish is that all that you have experienced is not a coincidence. In the cosmology, this is a divine soul plan that you are working through and becoming conscious of. And, and just to finish, because I know you're all suffering out there. <laughs> that, that is, that is no, no but, but this part, I think it's more universal, this idea of, of the soul journey. So I would encourage you to stay in that. Yeah, so, so I know you're all suffering out there, as I was saying, and, and I don't mean to joke about that. What I'm trying to share is that because of evolution, because of our becoming, 
the whole humanity is being faced with all the unconscious material that we're carrying individually and collectively from the last thousands of years of trauma and suppression. Like we have a huge bill to settle in terms of our emotional memories, in terms of our heritage, and it's all coming up. And there is no way to escape it. That, that is the, the core foundation of the upheaval we're seeing. But on the good side, there is cosmology and lore sharing that this is supposed to happen because of a spiritual evolution. But well, wh- why now? You say the current upheaval. Okay. Now, that is a really good question right now. Okay. So, we have a few sources to give us uh, an answer to that question. And what we will be looking at directly would be the prophecy of the Mayan calendar, the prophecy of the Hopi, the prophecies of the Cairo or Incan shamanism, the Pachacuti, they call it. Now, and the Kala Yuga. And the Kala, Kala Yuga in the Indian system is another path. I, I know. And per- Western astrology with the age of Aquarius. Exactly. So all these are actually tied together. Of course. Now, if we go to the Mayan system, we are looking, based on their cosmology, we are looking at an evolution of a being, an evolution of consciousness that they track 16 billion years back. We're talking how... For 16 billion years ago, how the most basic forms of life worked together over billions of years to create a process of evolution. Now, bear with me. I need to bring in some elements here. So, in this cosmology, evolution is based on four processes, very similar in the in the Hindu teachings as well. These four processes, they're represented by the cardinal corners, meaning the south, west, north, and east that I mentioned, which are the serpent, the jaguar, the hummingbird, and the eagle. They have multiple representations of what they mean. In this sense, these four corners represent the four natural forces of nature. Gravity, electromagnetism, weak and strong nuclear force. Now I know he's thinking, what the hell is he talking about? (laughs) Now let me explain. So in any kind of evolution, in any level of nature or the universe, gravity in south is going to bring in a form, a form that could be gas, that can be cells. That is a form of consciousness that wants to evolve. From the south to the west, this form of gravity connects to electromagnetism. Electromagnetism is energy, energy that moves in a container, in a form. By natural law, anything that is in a form, a planet, a solar system, a galaxy, a cell, a human being, a plant, a seed, anything that is in a form and that is given electromagnetism will by law go to the north where growth and evolution happens. So everything that is in a form that is given energy will by law grow and evolve. And when it grows and evolves to a certain level, it comes to the east where it transcends, where it levels up to become something else. Now the Mayan calendar shares this on a 16 billion year perspective, how the universe on the most simplest building forms 
have developed this consciousness through these stages of form, energy, growth, evolution, transcendence, and then starting over again and over again. And we right here, 2012, the end of that calendar, was the completion of a being, in their saying, being a human being that had evolved to the state, not only physical, not only neurological, but had come to the level of being able to establish a universal consciousness. So the universe manifesting itself. I know this is some far out stuff, but why it's relevant, why it's even interesting, is that the Mayan calendar has a calendar system based on a lunar calendar system that is based also on the precession of the equinox. This is where the zodiac and the age of Aquarius comes in. It has a timed system that shares the process of our evolution. Now, there's so much that we could said about that, but I, I want to go right to the core of it. And I might skip some important steps, but pardon me since we're a bit time sensitive. So, in the lore of the Kali Yuga, in the lore of the Zodiac, in what we understand, we have just lived through 12,500 years of patriarchal consciousness on the planet. What does that mean? That means that around 12,500 years ago, there was there is a suppose like Graham Hancock talks about the um, younger, uh, I think it's called the younger drier age. This this thousand years of of uh, ice age that we had, and there are speculations about the great trauma that happened to humanity at that time. From that point, we become a patriarchal society. Everything becomes masculine dominance, and the masculine is. Uh, the feminine is suppressed in all men and women, in all theology, in all our connection to nature, the feminine is suppressed. So we get agriculture, we get money, we get greed, we get war, we get this masculine energy that needs to express itself through our society, creating everything that we've gone through today. Now, to bring it back to your question, why now? So based on the mind calendar and these prophecies of these other ages, right now we've shifted. The templates of our sun and our earth has shifted. And we're moving into the counterbalance of this patriarchal age, which is the matriarchal age. The feminine balance is appearing. Based on the cosmology, this is a universal force. This is a part of evolution. It's beyond any human force. We cannot stop it. And it's been timed now through these calendar systems. And through that consciousness, through that energy that is coming into our planet, all life is changing. And that is the question why now. It is, a it is proposed to be a timed point in our evolution to become whole. Mm. To integrate this trauma we've been talking about. More than that, yes, integrating the trauma, is a, that, that is a superficial part of this. This is ultimately about becoming sovereign, authentic, true beings. This is about enlightenment. This is about finding out who we truly are at the core. And, you know, when we talk about who we are at the core, we talk about being authentic. So being authentic is being connected to our hara. It is being connected to our gut energy center or our gut instinct or our gut brain, whatever you want to call it based on what science. But that gut instinct, that gut feeling, that is the connection to the source. 
That is the connection to what is happening between me and you right now. That is the connection to what is happening outside in the immediate environment. That is the ultimate connection to the whole universe. That is our truth. And, and this evolution, we call it enlightenment, but that is, it's ultimately about bringing us back through the trauma, through all the unconscious material, and establishing us at our core, at our truth. And I mentioned the Hara, but this is also regarding the heart center and the brain center. We are being asked to reconnect and align and become whole with these three energy centers, or these three intuitive brains that we have. <laughs> the brain, the heart, and the gut. Exactly. Yeah. Wow, <laughs> what a what a session. But okay, so what do we want to leave our listener? What would you like the takeaway to be for people that have been listening? Okay, so we just passed eleven eleven here on the on the time, which is a great time to to wrap it up. So this is what I want to say. Our planet is now going through a very, very, very dark age on all levels. The, the proposed extinction of our species in the end of this planet that have been fairly well prognosed in the last next 60 to 80 years, we are all in this together. There is no doubt. And I'm proposing, I know in my heart and my gut and my brain that the only way we are going to get through this is if each and every individual takes full responsibility for their unconscious pain mm -hmm. and commit and devote themselves to healing. Themselves first. Themselves first. This healing, where I'm at now, it has gone through my personal experience. And this happens simultaneously, my personal experience. Then it starts going into the ancestral, the healing of my forefathers, foremothers. And then once you get deep enough into that, it starts going into the collective trauma that is there, which is huge for our planet. The suppression of the feminine, the racial discrimination and all the trauma that is carried there by all the indigenous and all the non-white bodies. Ultimately, and I would like to say this, and it's, it's not a popular idea, but ultimately we are fighting against, or not fighting, we are healing a white supremacy elitism need for survival that is being protected at all costs. So we're looking at, we're in a real journey and, and I believe the next 30 to 50 years we can heal from this, but the message has to be clear. It starts with you. That's not a judgment, it's just a fact because we're all in this together and ultimately we're all suffering from the same things. Does that make sense? Yeah. So they say that, you know, if you if the, the plane is in trouble and you want to help before giving the oxygen mark, mask to your past, to your, you know, neighbor, you need to put it on you first mm. because otherwise you're not going to go very far. So, yeah, this is another interesting topic. Um, this idea of, you know, you can't really affect positive change if you don't, you know, if you're... If you don't start with yourself, if you don't have the heart, the gut, and the um, and the brain aligned, if if they are disturbed by by this, you know, we, ca we call them um, pain bodies or 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 uh, shadows or um, or ghosts or psychological knots 
as as we've discussed in my case. So is it okay to 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 cut to 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 wrap this up? We went a bit di- into the deep mind technology. I would love to bring it just back into the self inquiry, so yeah. so our listeners can have some tangible, clear pathway of where and this some goes. structure for the future. Yeah. yeah. So so basically, the truth that you're seeking inside yourself, the authenticity that has been suppressed, has been disassociated from who you are. And in most cases, we do this through addiction, we do this through escape, we do this through finding any kind of comfort that can soothe us. And very often, it leaves us disconnected to our body, so we're in our mind. Some of you, I know, have already done a lot of work and connected to your body. And what I just want to emphasize is that all of this work is through your body. Mm. It is through becoming aware and sensitive in your body and trained and tempered to be able to notice tension, pulls, any physical sensation, to be able to hold those so that you can go deeper from there into understanding the emotional story and material which always hides underneath. And in that emotional baggage there's going to be memories experiences and the release of those emotions which is the healing the understanding that is really the path there are so many spiritualists that are seeking above to place codes on the land and and do all this high dimensional work but in my experience most of us most of you you're, you're forgetting the core which is in your body and all this spiritual enlightenment It happens through going through the fears, through the shadows, through the unconscious, not trying to escape from them going somewhere else. Yeah, Gabor Gabor always talk about this book, The Body Keeps the Score. Basil van der Kock, yeah. Yeah, we'll put it it on the show note. Okay, guys, (laughs) thank you for staying with us through this emotional roller coaster for me. And um, as you might have realize Louis is a very important voice of um, modern psychotherapy, personal development. So we're going to have another two sessions with him to finish more in depth the second principles. I'll encourage you to also check his first episode and um, see you soon. Peace. Coca sunarai sunarai en ti 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 Coca sunarai sunarai en ti